Welcome to the WP Builds Podcast, bringing you the latest news from the WordPress community. Now, welcome your hosts, David Wormsley and Nathan Wrigley. Hello there and welcome to the WP Builds Podcast. This is episode 104 entitled UX What on Earth Is It? And we'll be joined later by David Wormsley from davidwormsley.com and Paul Lacey to have a chat about that. It's a discussion episode and Paul takes the lead on this one, which is really nice. It's a, a, a departure from our usual. Today's episode was published on Thursday the 30th of November 2018. My name's Nathan Wrigley from pictureandword.co.uk, a small web development agency based in the north of England. And if you wouldn't mind going to the WP Builds website, there are several buttons along the top. One of them is the subscribe button, which takes you to wpbuilds.com forward slash subscribe. And if you do click on that button, you can join us on the usual channels. Uh, we've got a very growingly popular Facebook group. There's about 1,700 members in there and it's really, really good fun and thriving and I would encourage you to join us there. That seems to be the, the way that most people want to interact with us. But also we have got things like we'll alert you on Messenger if that's something that you use a lot. So there's a Messenger link. We post all of this stuff onto YouTube, so if that's your preferred channel and so on and so forth. So if you go to wpbuilds.com forward slash subscribe, you can find all of the ways that you can stay in touch. We, we we have sent out a few extra emails because of Black Friday, but generally speaking, we don't do too much of that stuff at all. The other thing I'd like to mention is if you go to wpbuilds.com forward slash advertise, then you can um, alert me as to the fact that you would like to advertise on the podcast. We've got banner ads and audio inserts as well, so you can go and check out what that all means. And finally, forward slash deals, if you want to avail yourself of cash off some notable WordPress plugins. Uh, if you go to forward slash deals, you can get money off loads of WordPress products, so go and check that out and see if you can save yourself a little bit of cash. My feeling is that most of us have spent all of our cash this time around because of Black Friday. The WP Builds podcast is brought to you today by GoDaddy. This episode of WP Builds is sponsored by GoDaddy Pro. Do you build websites for clients? If you do, you should check out GoDaddy Pro. Sign up for free and get tools to manage all your WordPress sites and clients from one central dashboard. Learn more at godaddy.com forward slash pro. And the Page Builder Framework. The Page Builder Framework is an easy to customize, mobile responsive and lightning fast theme for your WordPress website. It works with Beaver Builder, Elementor, Divi and Breezy. Go to wp-pagebuilderframework.com today. We thank all of our sponsors for their support of the WP Builds podcast. Okay, today we're going to be talking about UX. It's not something I know an awful lot about, and I did actually learn an awful lot from Paul Lacey during this episode. It's all about the user journey, the flow, the funnels, how to interact with your client, how to you know get a project ready so that your client is ready and, and, and is able to understand what it is that you've built for them and how your their customers are going to be getting through the website and and, and it's really interesting, really, really different chat. So fascinating, largely because David and I take a back seat 
So go check it out. I appreciate you joining us once again on WP Builds. Today's discussion, we're calling now UX, what on earth is it? Well, in fact, we had a different discussion in mind, but Paul's been telling us about the UX process that his partner at Dickie Bird Studios go through. So Paul, really, I'm going to hand it over to you to just explain and how we might make use of what he does. Yeah, that's cool. Um, the thing just to note, I suppose, is that with Dickie Birds, we've got two two clear sides to the the business, and that's as a result of the, you know me and Peter having slightly different backgrounds. And um, so we do the WordPress and web design stuff, which is my core background as such. But Peter's background over the last couple of years has been very much in um, user experience, UX, and user interface, um, not necessarily for websites. And so in the kind of uh, time where we weren't um, a partnership for a while, we ended up going off and creating our own uh, processes as such. And since we've come back and, and we reformed Dickie Birds uh, at the end of last year, I've been learning a ton of stuff from him, uh, which he finds super amusing when I talk about you know my process and, uh, and, and stuff like that. But it comes down to, in a way, that People, some people are web designers or web developers or run, you know, freelance web producers and stuff like that. Um, web builders like us, or small agencies and that kind of thing. And we probably do some UX within what we um, we actually do, but we we kind of adapt things that we know. And, and a lot of the UX that we've learned is just by trial and error. Whereas Peter, for instance, he his main thing that he does all day is UX. And that can mean, you know, that, for instance, on the contract that uh, we're doing <clears throat> for a big client at the moment for UX, he has to go to their office uh, three or four days a week to do th to do that to work with the rest of the UX team there. And he's doing, even though he's a fantastic designer, he's not doing any user interface work. He's not doing any design work at all. It's it's not his job. He's purely on UX, so he's not creating any graphics at all it's all diagrams and text and talking and stuff like that which is which is the kind of pure ux whereas you know we as web designers are probably mashing up um ux a little bit with uh in user interface and our, and our kind of solution providing mm -hmm. um in a way you've got three major stages you uh if you were going down the kind of the ux ui and solution which which is those three uh ux user experience user interface user interface and solution and we probably do we obviously do the solution you know as web designers and then it's how much ui and ux do we put in there does does that make sense mm, yep so yeah. far so good yep so we could um one of the one of the things i've learned from peter is some of the stages and what they're called and um, and the order that they go in. So I guess I could kind of start with some of those. So, and and kind of talk about how, you know, some of us do do it or some of us probably don't do some of these stages. And the, the first stage, um, I'm gonna say there's six stages of UX and people will debate that. Some people will say there's 10, some will say that eight or two or whatever. But uh, Peter's kind of um, process is those six stages, um, and and that starts with um, gathering information. Stage one is gathering information. So that can be, for instance, 
interviews with the client. Um, uh, what Dopey Elevation do it, for instance, they call that, um, you know, go wide, go deep, which they've talked about in some of their webinars and everything. And the idea is, is to try and discover through this process of conversing with all the stakeholders, the actual problem that you're trying to solve, um, the truth, the problem, whatever it might be. Um, that's the key thing so that you know from the first moment, what is the problem that we're trying to solve? Um, that's, I imagine that's something, you know, I do that in our web design process and I imagine that's something you guys do as well um, to some extent to another. So you gather information. I mean, how do you guys tend to go about gathering the information as such that gives, well, you, gives you the idea of what the problem is that the customer's facing? I go to their office with a big bucket and say, put it all in there. No, yep. I, I um <laughs> get it off your chest. Yeah, yeah God, stick it in the bucket. There it is. Yeah. No, I I it's for me it's all about um personal communication. I'm in the lucky position or not, I suppose, depending on how you look at it, that most of my clients are based in the region in which I live. So I go to their office and I can just ask, ask the question, you know, what what problem are you trying to solve with it? And as you say, this sort of go wide, go deep technique. Why do you need a new website? Okay, uh, and, and of all the 10 things that you've just told me, which one is the most important? And then why? Why is that the most important? And keep going, keep going, keep going, mm. drilling down until you find out what it is that they really, really need, you know, whether they're... Um, I don't know, they need more um, revenue created so that they can afford this wing that they're trying to have built on the side or perhaps they're just trying to sell more of this widget that they've just had redesigned or whatever. Um, that's my process and I scribble all that down and then go back to the office, distill it all right to them saying, okay, this is what I think you're trying to solve. Is that right? And do you want me to do it for you? That's what I do. Yeah. And it's David, do you do much about that? Yeah, but mostly this is a kind of fail for me because, uh, again, they just want a website in most of the – even the higher-paid clients just want a website, and that's about as much as I get. Or they want a new website because that old one looks old or is outdated because it's not mobile responsive. <clears throat> so it's very hard getting names. Occasionally I do, but it, I'll only get about one out of you know them that might be, yeah, they want to have more traffic. They want to get more leads. I tend yeah. to send them the, the series of – I tend to send a bunch of those questions to them in advance so that they can have a think about it before we show up. And I make the point mm. that I'm going to be there for like 45 minutes or an hour or whatever it is. So it's a bit of a waste of time if they're trying to make it up as, as we go along because they won't really um, have achieved anything. So um, I will try as best as possible to ensure that not only the right people are in the room, but also that they've had a think about this. And usually I'll anecdotally get a something on the phone or an email which says yes we are prepared for this meeting we're ready to do it i think that's a really nice way of doing it, actually that's um you know giving you know giving some importance to those questions that you've asked you know and a kind of time limit on them so, well yeah i mean countless yeah. times i've been to offices and that conversation has been very modeled and yeah. you just simply don't get anywhere because they didn't know they needed to answer those questions so flip that process just make sure that they know that it's important they've at least thought about it and often they haven't really thought a lot about it but at least they've got something to say 
um, and they know why they need a new website. And, it, and, and as David said, often the case will just be, well, our old one is out of date, but then that's fine. That's the discussion. Okay, if that's the major thing, we'll talk about making it look modern and let's have a look at a bunch of modern websites. But usually there's more of a business case in my, in my with the people I mm. deal with. There's more of a, we're trying to sell more of this or we've moved offices and so we need a bit of a refresh or we've got this, I don't know, new product or we've got a new director who wants to sell the company in two years' time and so blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that changes everything if you you know find out a situation like that. You can say, oh, okay. So, in fact, the, the, the thing we're trying to do here is the problem to solve is to make the company look attractive from the online perspective yeah, to, or, an, to or, an investor or a buyer. Yeah, or just to, obviously, if they've got this one product which they're launching, to mm. put that front and center and the design yeah. is built around that, that particular feature. It's impossible to say what the answer is to that because each one is entirely different. But I, I would say... Well, well over fifty percent of my clients don't ask, don't answer that question very thoughtfully. They just say, "Yeah, well, we need a new website," and that conversation then tends to that hour tends to revolve around eking it out of them. And then the yeah. other fifty percent, they've thought about it a lot, and we get a, a lot further on, and the, ultimately you get a better website, and you build a better relationship, and you work out that they're probably a client that you want to work with because they've got people who take it seriously, and so on. Yeah. Well, Paul, something I've just realized, I mean, I, in some ways I give people multi, multiple choice with those kind of questions, why they want this website, because I give them some examples of why they might want to and whether these are relevant. So do you think that happens as well with this uh, gathering info? Uh, yeah, I think the gathering info stage is is a series of conversations which are different depending on who you're talking to. The, the most important thing is that you are aware of all the different potential stakeholders and you get to that final problem i mean you've got a you know you say you don't do it but you've got a actual paid discovery phase and yeah. a lot of web designers don't do that and you know the pressure from the client is that they don't want to pay for that kind of thing but you've got a and i guess not all your clients pay for that discovery phase but what do you what kind of stuff do you cover in there do you, you must be finding yeah. more information about them yeah, well, <laughs> as yet, there's only one person who's actually paid for it officially as I put yeah. it up on the site. <clears throat> and largely, they are looking for sort of technical solutions because they don't they know what they want to do. But yep. there's different ways of doing it. So, in fact, it's not the usual discovery. So I'm yet to find out. But the, the idea is that I'll be asking the right kind of questions, um, you know, to kind of find out exactly what's most of the time I, i'm giving them an idea how difficult it is online to convert people and explaining to them how they might make their website more um uh, conversion friendly yep. in that in that process so i guess i'm providing information more than i'm discovering in all honesty yeah yeah it's creating a conversation though but that does lead mm. on to stage two uh, mm -hmm. as peter's law states which is the <laughs> peter's which, is, law, I like it. <laughs> which is um creating the the personas creating the user personas so um can i just point out at this point i yep. i am hopeless at this particular bit N not only hopeless i'm kind of almost reluctant to do it I, I i find this part of the process really difficult to um to get into and enjoy and even bother with so sorry with that caveat carry on <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is i know that you do do that <laughs> um 
and you just don't realize that you know you, you probably just don't like the phrase uh, user personas yeah whereas i know that you know you will talk to your clients in that 45 minutes or that one hour meeting yeah and you will be talking about who the audience is coming to the website and you will be bringing that into the conversation without you actually realizing that you're doing that yeah i think i'm a bit um, i'm a bit kind of reserved when it comes to all these little phrases and, mm. and little labels that we've got for all of these clever clever things for me my process is an evolutionary one i've built it up on the whole autonomously by by yep. just mucking everything up and and arriving at the the conclusion oh there's got to be a better way of doing this and then going off online and finding it but but i don't have all the technical jargon and so it puts me it, it makes me feel ill at ease when people talk about it because I, you know, that imposter syndrome thing. Somebody mentions a, a user journey or a or a, a customer avatar, and I'm like, I don't really know what that is. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, and all they are is they are, you know, they are phrases. But you know, a, a avatar and a, a user persona is just a type of person that visits your website or goes uses your web application or your app. See, I'm happy. So with that. I can cope with that, right? You you exactly, may, you may carry on, yeah. <laughs> You know that that's exactly what it is, and you you'll have those conversations. But the 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 useful thing about just having a good understanding of these different stages that have been tried and tested on huge blue chip companies that where you know millions of dollars are at stake if they don't get it right, and that's why we can learn from it, is that if you uh, took yourself back to the first day you started doing web design, uh, and then you did your first meeting with a client. Um, in, in the year two, and it was the year 2018 with all the expectations that clients have got these days versus you know what people had before. You would have a stressful meeting where you were just kind of winging it and making stuff up and probably just nodding that every time, you know, what would you like to have on the website and this, that, and the other, and just nodding and saying, I'll do that, yep, I'll do that, yep, yep, yep. Yeah. Whereas if you can, because you've learned over time to you know have these specific questions and get to the bottom of what the problem is, that probably encompasses situations that they they have, you know, especially if it's an e-commerce website, they'll probably have a better idea of who their customer should be, and 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 as a result, you can identify those different people. So if you had a, an e-commerce website for um, some kind of beauty products or something, then one user persona might be someone who wants to buy a gift voucher. Uh, another user persona might be someone who's buying a bunch of stuff for themselves another one might be someone who's coming to try and find a partner to work with to you know do wholesale with and then and then you can go deeper and say okay someone who's trying to buy a gift um mm -hmm. you're going to have people who completely know how to do this because they always buy gifts online for people that's how they do all their gift shopping versus somebody who has got to buy a gift for someone for the first time because this gift is only available on this website yet this person who's trying to buy a secret gift for this person doesn't really know how to use websites very well so they're going to struggle with it so you, that's a kind of going a little bit deeper into mm. the next the next phase as such which is the the user journeys so mm. we're, we're doing this stuff we're just we're breezing over some of it i think as web designers who are under pressure to deliver a website mm. by this time and a mm. client that potentially doesn't want to engage in that conversation as well. Because in the same way you don't want to talk about user personas, that's going to go over the heads of some some uh, people as well because clients mostly look at other websites and they see the final solution and mm -hmm. they see the graphics and stuff like that and they see the text. 
and they look at these amazing websites that they love that you say oh that one costs 20 grand and the reason that one costs 20 grand is because the designer probably did a really good process with it and as a result the website came out much better than the the copycat website that you then find that has tried to you know copy copy what they did without the process mm-hmm. the search so that's all that use user that's all user personas are it's just who are the people that need to go on your website and do stuff yeah i I like exactly like you say i don't give them all those labels what i don't really often tend to do is kind of break them out into individual things like you've just said you know this person wants to buy this thing and this thing this person wants to just search for something entirely different i i don't tend to you know break them out into two or three or four things for me it's usually just one or two what kind of things are you hoping for and i wouldn't frame it as in that way for me it's what what i would use the word people and ask you know what what when people come to your website what are you hoping that they'll they'll do um, as part of the discovery, but not not kind of inventing a bunch of users. Uh, and w- you know, what kind of things are you hoping that this person will do and that this person will do? And I don't think about demographics all that much. I have asked that, those questions quite a lot. Yeah. Um, you know, what's the age demographic of your users? And generally speaking, I've given, I've mostly given up asking those kind of questions because the answer is, well, we don't know. Um, yep. Yep. which makes it difficult, then you sort of feel, oh, okay, I don't know where to go with that now. Well, I'll give you a reason why you might want to think about um, changing the process just ever so slightly. Mm. And that is because when you are asking your clients about, um, you know, who's who are the people that are going to go on the website and stuff, you've, you've already got experience of thinking about this every week with a different client perhaps you know and asking that question but your client is probably either a business owner or a marketing person or something like that and they're not used to doing that so the whole point of the you know what some people do with you know user personas is they give them a name and they give them a backstory which sounds like really kind of faffy and ridiculous and you know are we paying for this what are we paying for here you know we're paying for you to come up with a name can't get my hands on it i can't see it Yeah. yeah All you're actually doing is making it easier for the client to imagine who their user really is. So it's not something that's beneficial to you. It's it's giving the, it's giving the client a, an easier way to answer the question mm. about who their mm-hmm. users are. So mm-hmm. give it a name. What's their backstory? And then it's almost like an actor getting into role. You know, so it's beneficial to the client to talk about it in that way, as such. And it's like I say, it's not something I always do. Um, it's just something that you know. In an ideal world, we we would con- at least take into consideration mm-hmm. all the time. Um, so that's all personas really is. And um, the the next there's two stages after this which are which are kind of interesting because um, I personally mash them up. Uh, my process is to kind of do them both at the same time. Um, Peter was berating me for this yesterday when we were drawing some diagrams. I was we were drawing some diagrams and uh, I said let's do a user journey. And he just started smirking because I picked up a pen and I was drawing a diagram on the board. And because he's like that, you know, he, he loves loves it when I've got something wrong. And um, <laughs> and so I drew this amazing diagram. Uh, in my mind, it was brilliant. He said, so you don't know what a user journey is, do you, Paul? And I was like, um, you know, I was trying to think of what the right response was to this. Was no, it's probably the right response. <laughs> yeah, the right the right response that I had to admit was, no, can you tell me what, okay, where have I gone wrong here? And he said, you know, you've, 
you're mixing up um, flows and user journeys, which is okay uh, because you are thinking about the user journey, but you've created those personas. So you may as well create a user journey for them. And the user journey is usually doesn't have any diagrams at all. It's just words. It's just, for instance, the person arrives on the website, they haven't got a high technical um, ability. So they see a button that says something like, you know, they, they see something that helps them to know where they are. They go down this route and they get educated briefly or onboarded onto the website first and then they find their product and then they buy something. Or another user journey might be somebody comes to the website, they know exactly what to do, they look for the section called this in the navigation, they navigate to it, they um, try and find a voucher coupon online, they might do that and then they go back to the checkout and then they buy their thing at discount yep, or something yep. like that. No. Um, and then other user journeys take the person off the website whereby they come onto the website, they, they find it interesting and they decide to somehow stay connected to the website as such, which might be, you know, signing up to a newsletter or, or joining social or, or uh, messenger chat or something like that. But their user journey might happen over the period of, of half a year until they, you know, until that person was naturally ever going to come back to the website and do the thing that, um, we wanted them to do. Mm -hmm. So I know we mentioned, you know, Dorothy Elevation, they, they, they just released a video on YouTube. It was amazing. And it was basically their flow of how they did their, you know, their webinars and stuff like that to, um, it's only a five minute video, but it's Troy Dean with pictures all over the walls in their office and diagrams and, you know, pieces of paper stuck on the wall. And you can see an amazing flow on there. And you can see that some of the users in there are people who, they've been warming up for years like me <laughs> so, who finally went and you know signed up after you know years of being in their kind of user journey and finally ending up in the in the checkout so user journeys are a description usually they're a description of the person going through um, we don't always do that and that makes some of our stages for you know every step that we skip even if it's just on a subconscious level makes the things further down the line more of a difficult stressful thing for us mm. as people trying to create the solution because at the beginning you've got the what is the problem and then the our job as web designers is usually to create the solution at the end but if we're not if we're missing out information in between then something i said earlier in our, our preamble was you know, you could you could basically rephrase what UX is as being something called removing the guesswork out of creating solutions yep. for users. Uh, removing the guesswork, that's the big one. And then as a result of that, you can look at your own processes and think how much guesswork is in what I'm doing, how much is proven experience, which is almost is better than guesswork versus pure guesswork uh, versus metric data that I can actually prove that this is the, the reason that I've done it for. Mm. So the, the one thing we probably all, or a lot of us probably do, is what I did on the board yesterday with Peter, which is flow diagrams. Mm -hmm. Yes, I've, I I've that, used those yeah. to, to, well, I don't know, sometimes effectively, other times utterly ineffectively. Yep. Well, some, sometimes they're rephrased. I mean, a, a, a similar thing to a flow is, is a is a funnel so that's like a word that we're like a lot of us are hearing probably quite a lot you know you've got mike killen teaching people about 
funnels and, and web funnels and sales funnels and stuff like that. And and then you've got kind of software popping up for creating funnel diagrams and stuff like that. And and you've got, you know, a webinar funnel, which is, you know, you get people to sign up on a landing page. And so a funnel is actually uh, a kind of diagram, usually of a particular um, user journey. It's that kind of fleshed out mm. in more it, with more detail. So whereas in a user journey, you don't really have the, you know, the icons representing a web page or anything like that, you've just got text. It's where you then kind of create that flow uh, whereby you can draw, you know, here is a user, it's this, it's this user, they're arriving on the website from search engine. So they come into this way. Um, what do we want them to do? And then you can design the flow. And if you do a really good flow, you will, you know, what, what my flows often look like are the perfect flow. <laughs> <laughs> the one that nobody will ever do, but here it is anyway. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The user arrives on the website and they do exactly what I want them to do. And I show that to the client and the client is like, that's amazing. The client, mm -hmm. So the user is going to arrive on the website. They're going to click this, do that, do that, and then that. And it, yep. Looks like that's what they're going to do. We've, you know, we've figured it out. So it's quite, it's and, quite an effective tool yeah. for for pitching to clients. This part, it, presumably, yeah. you're well in the process by now of having them as a client. You're not trying to, you're not trying to woo them to to use your services. They've already signed on the dotted line, and this is just part of the the service that you offer. Exactly, because I think yeah. you can probably show someone. I think you would struggle to impress a client by. You know, trying to guess their user personas and their and their user journeys. But if you were doing a pitch to someone or a proposal, there would not be any harm in showing them and maybe talking through on on the proposal via a video or some audio or mm. talking through an example flow that might be something that might be good for their website. Because yeah. usually you can you can see, you know, what if you look at a client and what their website is, and if you're redeveloping it you can probably see what the perfect flow would be for their users. So you mm. could propose, you know, here, here we have your problem and um, that you've mentioned in your, in your brief. Um, here's just one example of the perfect flow because their website currently is probably not even doing the perfect flow. Um, but in a perfect world, you will do the imperfect flows as well. And um, so you, in, in a perfect world, you would create all the user journeys. You'd create a number of different flows for all those different um, things and then you would try to merge those all together in in one gigantic diagram which is probably way too much for our typical website projects but mm. from that you can literally throw scenarios at the flow and say okay user does this uh, they're not very good at this and they actually don't like your brand <laughs> so mm. uh, but you're the only place we can buy it from and then, and then you can test that there and um, is the idea yeah. with this then that you you try to create a situation where every single possible scenario is catered for or are you in other words there's a, there's a unique flow for this type of person and a unique flow for this type of person and another one for this or are you trying to um, maximize the one flow so that everybody in some way can can interact with this one flow that we've got because I'm thinking you know like a shopping cart there's not there's not like 15 different ways that you can put things in the cart. There's just one way. You get to that page and you put it in the cart and then you go yep. to the checkout or yep. you don't oh, and so on, or it sits in the cart and so on. There's not like a, a million ways of putting things in the cart. So did that did that question even come off? Did I did I explain that very yeah, well? Yeah, no, I, 
I totally know what you, you mean. I mean, if you take your website, for instance, you've got an inquiry form. And on your inquiry form, you've got a kind of minimum budget situation yep. going on. But you know that you will have people going to your form that don't have that budget. And as a result, they just bounce off. You don't want them to be your customer anyway. You're not too interested in them. But you could potentially say that, okay, they're not my my the customer I want, but I could add in a scenario in my website where they are able to choose a lower budget. And when they do that, you give them some automated friendly advice to say, if this is your budget and this is what you're trying to achieve, then you might be better to DIY something on Squarespace and uh, yeah, controversial, but, but <laughs> invest the, the, the rest of your budget in either learning um, some marketing skills or hiring somebody to help you um, create a web strategy yeah. that goes along with your Squarespace yeah. thing. So instead of hiring a web designer, get the strategy bit done first and then you can, as a result on your page, still be a helpful person that may still get referrals from someone who said, oh, I went to this guy's website. Uh, I couldn't afford him, but um, your company sounds like you need a, a much higher value website. So you should go to you know, um, picture and word and fill in their form and your budget's right up their street. <clears throat> and you were still helpful to that person rather mm. than just, you know, you didn't give them an option. Yeah, it's Plus interesting. you could take an affiliate fee mm. to Squarespace or something mm. or some other solution that you yeah. proposed. Yeah, it's, I, I, could, I see what you mean. It was a nice example, actually. Um, so it doesn't always mm. have to be on-site stuff. It doesn't have to be additional pages on your own website. It could be, like you say, some sort of email marketing automation or or just different fields on a form that pop up yeah. when conditional logic is is met and so on. Yeah. That's right. Oh. I mean, yep, sorry. <laughs> no, there was a question because uh, what people won't know is that the original question that we were going to tackle was where should UX come into the system? And I just thought, actually, this is a key thing. I think when you were starting off with the personas, I, I just wonder whether you would always want to really, if you like, ask about all of the different types of people that your site could possibly have or application could have, or whether you would deal with the primary customer first, go through this process, get the flow right, and perhaps later do the similar process to add in new personas to keep it simple in the first place. I, I can just imagine a situation where once you've got done a really good job on all the different types of people that might come to your homepage, say, as a persona, the rest of it gets even more tricky, doesn't it, to yep. to accommodate? And then you've got compromises. I think one, I 100% agree with that, mm. uh, especially on website projects. Um, in the kind of stuff Peter's doing with some, um, you know, blue chip clients, whereby there's there's a you know there is teams of people representing different aspects of different kind of user personas within an actual company, whether or not mm -hmm. they they call them that. Um, with us with websites, I'm very much uh, our own process recently is kind of reflective of what you said in that we we try to do a discovery phase and then we create we're not calling it minimal viable product because we don't it sound minimal but we're calling it the the very viable product the VVP I don't know if that's a real <laughs> phrase but I've made it up anyway so and um, and as a result of that we have another stage in our in our current process called growth to goals. So for me, it would be, you know, in a website situation about targeting those primary people first, because that's what everyone can 
can bear thinking about who's on the project that that core need mm. and and the last thing you want from any web design project is your client to get mentally exhausted from the process so if you focused on that one that one um type of persona which might be the primary type of customer you could get that sorted and then you could then once the website is live you could in an ideal world say remember we talked about that there's other users that come to the website we've solved the main problem now to a certain extent mm. shall we look a little bit wider now and then the client hasn't got the pressure of also trying to create the entire website project and all the content and have the pressure from their bosses they've done that thing they've you know had the picture in the paper open the bottle of champagne and everything the website is live mm. and the pressure's off to to then kind of you know maybe do some a b split testing if that was feasible or just to go back and you know theorize you know things again and say are there some other type of customers we're missing out on you know the kind of thing like um uh people dropping out of the checkout uh, you know they're, they're just about to buy so you might not do that in the very viable product but then you'd be kind of like you know we've, we've checked the website and you've you've got a lot of people dropping out of the at the point of where they're about to buy something so should we address that now? And if you've got some ongoing um, deal with that client because you've built that into proposal, um, even if it's just a few hours a month or something, at least you can have those conversations which then might allow them to see more value in the idea of that and invest some more money to a mutual benefit that you get more money and the client gets a, a further optimized um, website or product as such. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's what I was thinking. If you can concentrate on one, then you've got live data to be able to go through the whole process again and to yep. bring in other personas and to see whether by trying to accommodate some other personas, whether you damage what you were doing to the original primary persona. Yep. Yeah, or just it just gets that, muddy, yeah. you know, it just gets confusing yeah. um, because you might have completely contrary uh, personas, you know, who kind of damage each other if you know what I mean this one mm. wants to do this and this one wants to do that oh they're at complete odds to with each other I, I, I a lot of this stuff um, I don't know how this is going to sound but a lot of this stuff is is too much for my um, cottage industry one-man band website building service if you know what I mean mm. um, I think you need teams and uh, agent you know like a big proper agency and all of that to, to carry a lot of this stuff off so but I like the idea of just doing one your primary one, because I can cope yep. with that, and that's something yep. that I can see myself doing. Whereas if it was three or four, uh, all of a sudden the the tentacles, there's too many arms to this, and the, you know there's just too much going on for me and my little little mind to cope with and to feed back and really truly understand. Um, exactly. Yeah. That's why. That's why in you know the larger UX projects with the blue chip clients, mm. they are employing someone like you know Peter hiring from us. Yeah purely to do the ux and yep. he's working with a number of different stakeholders who are worrying about their specific person yeah. and then this yeah. and then the serve you know someone else is thinking about someone else so he's having individual conversations and he's part of a ux team that you know is is put together there's multiple people because there's in this particular job that we're doing at the moment there is there is um it's an international project there's like 42 different countries and there's different cultures to think about there's different it, it's ridiculous it's a huge huge yep. you know, responsibility as makes, such but at, at our sense. level you know we we focus on probably the the primary the primary um goal and and then just keep energies high for us and the client on 
on that and then ideally we can then keep adding value by coming up with different scenarios later on mm-hmm. um yeah so i think that was flows wasn't it that was um mm-hmm. yeah so there was something i was going to say and it was a question to david i think but i've forgotten so oh, well, sorry never about mind. that never mind never mind you might come back to me um in in the world of ux you would um you would then have a a, a, a stage which ux people would might call low fidelity prototypes but we typically call it wireframes um so you know we know that wireframes are useful to do we don't always do them now because we can almost prototype a website in something like beaver builder or breezy or elementor so we can you know just create a kind of rough version of it um as long as our client fully understands that this isn't the design solution oh i've had that so many times yeah but, the, but it's the so main... bland. Yes, it's supposed to be bland. Yes, it's supposed to have grey boxes. So yeah. It's a, yeah, exactly. Um, so the the main difference between, say, a wireframe and a, and a, and a low-fidelity prototype, the low-fidelity bit just means there's no graphics, there's no design. Uh, that's all that that means. And then the prototype means that you can interact with it to some extent. So, for instance, you might create, um, again, WP Elevation, on, on a webinar, I saw this, um, you know, they typically would create a, uh, a prototype. Um, and it means that, you know, you just install WordPress, install the plugins that you think you might need, not do any design at all, not put any real content in. You might put some one or two, a couple of lines in here and there as guidance. But if the client said, we need a shop, you would install WooCommerce and you would get the shop working. And then you would make sure that you know, at the absolute basic, you could visit this homepage and find your way to the shop based mm. on the flow. Mm. So it's kind of like combining the flow with, it's it's skipping wireframes and, and doing wireframes as an actual interactive thing. I, I'm totally up for that. I, I really like that process. I think that's really good because basically without the client sort of realizing it, you've you've made a start on the website, the actual website. Yeah. You've, you've done a lot, yeah. you know, you've got a few of the plugins in there. You've got some of the... Um, the menu items sorted, and they're able to actually see what's going to happen. Um, but there's no design, no attention whatsoever given to the way it looks. It's basically black on white with a bit of grey. Um, I like that. Exactly. I like that a lot. Yeah. And I, I think a lot of people probably do that or do wireframes to some extent. I mean, some of our projects, I just go straight into the design because you know, like David said earlier, the situation is really, really clear what they want. It's just a upgrade of their existing design. Mm. So I don't need to um, do certain things as as valuable as it might be anyway. Mm. But you you take that then and, and you move on to user testing next, which is the... Can, can I just point out, just yep. going back to that, that the live wireframe, what did you call it again? The... The low fidelity. The protocol. low fidelity. I, I'm a. I think that's really a, an important step um, because you will very quickly. They'll come back to you straight away with, but I don't like the menu there, and I don't like yeah. the fact that it says home. I just want home where the logo is. That's what everybody does now. They just click the logo. They don't need it, and all. Of, and it just gets you get so many of those problems out in the air so quickly, without it being you know, you've suddenly got a bunch of CSS classes and things that you've then got to rewrite because you've got to move this to there. You can get all of that, the structure of it, when it's when it's completely irrelevant what it looks like. And that, that can save quite a bit of time. Mm. Exactly. You can imagine, you know, especially before we had page builders and lots of plugins to help us, how many of us got to that situation where we said to the client, 
well, we've built it now and we've done all the code. So uh, we needed to know about that thing you just told us about earlier. Mm. So in theory, if you do good UX and you do the personas and the user journeys and the flows and the low fidelity prototype, that conversation uh, chance of happening is vastly reduced, which means happier client and less stress. Mm -hmm. So, you know, w while we can't all afford to do it exactly to the how, how you know how the UX books and manuals teach us, if we're, we've at least got these concerns on our mind that you know um, might someone pop up when I've done the website. I think you said something earlier in our preamble that you sometimes will get an email from someone that Bob from a complete who you've never heard of has told your contact that this needs to be done on the website. Oh, yeah. And you think, and, and apparently Bob is a very important person, so you've just got to do it. Yeah. <laughs> Even though Bob hasn't written down in any way clearly because he was writing to his friend at the company and they know each other and they've got all the vernacular of the company and blah, blah, That's blah. Right. Anyway, rant over. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. If, you, if you've... Um, with the, with the kind of different processes, you, you would probably, Bob might have come into it at a certain point. Although you can't always account for that because, you know, this this mythical Bob, Bob might be just someone who absolutely doesn't care about seeing anything until that person can see something. And that's when they decide to engage, um, which isn't your fault, isn't your problem. It's just uh, an external factor. And then you just try and do your best with that scenario, really. But um but yeah, so low fidelity prototype. The reason it's called low fidelity prototype is because, in in the kind of world of UX and UI outside of web websites, you also have something called the high fidelity prototype. So that doesn't apply to us so much. Uh, that's actually the final. Um, that's a, that's the final solution usually of a person who does pure UI. Um, because when you get to the UI stage, there is then, an, after you've completed what you call a high fidelity prototype, which is basically a realistic prototype. It looks like a web app. It look like, looks like a mobile app. You can press buttons. Things happen. I'm pressing my hand with my finger at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> you can, things happen. And then that is, the, that is a major part of the brief that then goes on to the developer who might be developing that app, which is, so in, in, in the high profile stuff, There'll be a UX person or a team. There'll be a UI team or person, and there will be a person who or a team that creates the actual developed solution. And the way you can know that that person has done the solution correctly is because it works exactly as the high fidelity prototype, yeah, except there's yeah. real data in there, and it's saving stuff to databases and whatnot. Um, so that's why you've got low fidelity prototype and high fidelity prototype, and that's why we as web designers don't really talk about a low fidelity prototype because we move straight onto the solution normally yeah, after yeah. that. Um, but in an ideal world, you would take that low fidelity prototype and do user testing because it's interactive. Yeah. You can then get some different personas and get them to, to test it. I think that's something we probably, we probably as web designers do a lot more user testing once the website is live and then we take feedback and ideally then you know, split test if we've got the budget for that. and uh, Or we and don't then, do much yeah. of it at all. Exactly. <laughs> that is the other, the other one. Yeah. So yeah. obviously at Sticky Bird Studio, we do lots. No. <laughs> okay. No. So, yeah, it's a very difficult thing to get the client to buy into. Oh, it impossible. Like, you know, like really, yeah. like that's never going to happen on a paid basis for the clients that I'm dealing with. They just want to no, know. It's just no. not. Um, I have, I have 
really is almost zero experience. Although David has, he was telling us about exactly. the time when he did yeah. it. And tell, tell us about that, David. Uh, yeah, well, I think we should have a discussion on this one alone. But um, yeah, I, did, I just took from Steve Krug, who did, I think many people will know his book, Don't Make Me Think. He did a follow-up book called Rocket Surgery Made Easy. And there's actually a YouTube video that is definitely worth checking out, where it's about about 10 minutes. And it shows you how to just take three people and um, and take them through a user testing. So I did this with about eight people on one site, only one site ever, but so revealing it was. I mean, these people found, it was an e-commerce shop. They found pages I didn't know existed. <laughs> So it was valuable that you actually got. Oh, some... absolutely! Yeah, I mean, it was such a you know, it's such a low expense to learn so much about what can go wrong. Yeah, that's that's. I just wish I had the, the the setup to do that and the wherewithal to get the clients to do it, but we never do that. We never do that. Um, right, sorry, Paul. We're gonna have to wrap it up soonish, I think. But um, yeah, tell yep. us tell us about the the, the other phases or. Well, that is the user testing is, is actually the final stage of user of user experience or UX UX design, uh, because with pure UX you don't actually do the user interface nor the solution. Uh, obviously, us as web designers we do, but what happens in in pure UX is that at, at the user testing stage, uh, people are testing the low fidelity prototype, and they will discover problems with that. Then those problems will be documented. And then you go back to the beginning. You might need to have another interview with the client and talk about those problems, adjust the, the personas or add in new personas, adjust the user journeys, adjust the flow. So it's these kind of iterative small tweaks that you're making to can, to just keep cleaning the, the proposed solution to the problem. Um, and then you get to the point where you've done the new version of the high, the low fidelity prototype which might have just took a few hours to do that entire tweaking process. But then you go back to the user testing, which you can imagine in our web design world is just not going to happen. We're just mm -hmm. not going to, mm -hmm. in most cases, get clients who are, who understand that, you know, you might have actually got the, the got it wrong. And you're, aren't you supposed to be the expert, the web designer and stuff? And, you know, you've apparently not accounted for these things, so I want the money back. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, so that is actually the end of the UX phase. But us as web designers, we tend to then do what a UI and and a, and a developer might also do. Um, the two the two phases for UI people tends to be creating a design system, which is basically a library of user interface um, uh, bits and bobs. You know, a library of um, modules as such, and then they will typically create a high fidelity prototype, which I mentioned earlier, which is basically the low fidelity prototype all coloured in and looking beautiful. Mm -hmm. um, you will typically do do user testing again then uh, when you know in in the larger situations because you might find that the UI has introduced problems to the flow as a result of colors or something like that or you know distracting aspects of the user interface so you'll then go around again until you've eventually got uh, got the user testing to the point where the high fidelity prototype is working perfectly for all the users that you're testing it with mm -hmm. then you hand that over to a developer who might develop the web app or a mobile app or whatever, it, or an e-commerce system or whatever it might be. But I think as as web designers, we tend to, you know, we go from um, probably low fidelity prototype or wireframes, if we do that, to um, creating the actual website. And I think what's what's kind of nice about the web design process is that we, if we can make sure, if we can, we can get like an ongoing 
financial arrangement with one of we know with our clients we can we can say okay let's put this out there let's see the stats let's check what people are doing on the website let's see how many people are quitting the the uh, the the checkout and then let's adjust it let's try some a b split testing so but with the with the bigger systems you tend to try and do as much of the remove as much as the guesswork as possible but i think it's totally fine that web designers um you know people like you know us um like to put the the proposed solution out there and then see how it goes and yeah, then iterate yep. it from there i think yep. that's a more realistic way for us to handle ux so the main the main point of everything here is that if you know those different stages and you can be aware of them then they come into your thinking and they come into your conversations you don't have to do a full ux um, process on every single project it's just nice to know those things because it's reassuring if you're having the right conversations you're almost able to reassure yourself that you've had the right conversations with the client yeah as you yeah get along. i would say that um in my case there's there's 100 percent chance that i won't implement all of those things but mm. exactly right what you just said some of those things are just good to know it's nice to know that those things exist and and potentially in my case, to, to actually give them a name and understand a little bit more about what their purpose is and, and where they fit in. I didn't, for example, realize there was a, a sort of more preferred way to, to do them in, in an exact order and so on. Um, yeah, that was really, really interesting. Thank you. That was really cool. So m- more of an interview that than it was a, a discussion, but very valuable nonetheless. Have you got anything to add to that, David? Yeah, I got a lot from that, actually, because I just thought I could all the stages. So gather information was just what do you want and what do you want this to do? Personas, easy. Tell us about the people who come to your site and who else, who else, who else. Uh, user journeys, you know, where do you want them to go? What are they going to need to do? You can have all this conversation really easy, can't you? And yes. Yeah. Here's my basic website and then we'll fill it in with all the colors that you like and the style. I th- I think I think we all do this actually in yes. some form or another. We just don't name cat. it. Yeah, that's yeah, that's exactly. the bit I I hadn't named it. Um, yeah, Both fascinating, absolutely fascinating. Uh, okay, uh, I think we'll knock it on the head there, and yep. I will knock say, it on the head. yeah, knock it on the head. <laughs> I'll say thank you to Paul Lacey and obviously um, David as as normal. Well, I hope you found that interesting. I certainly did. Thanks for paying attention once more. Really appreciate it. Just one quick word from our sponsor, which is GoDaddy this week. Thanks to GoDaddy Pro for sponsoring this episode of WP Builds. Here's what you get with GoDaddy Pro. Pro sites to monitor and manage all your WordPress installations, no matter where they're hosted. Pro clients to manage your clients' GoDaddy products on their behalf. And Pro rewards for exclusive discounts and special offers. And the best part, you get all of this for free. Learn more and sign up at godaddy.com forward slash pro. And we thank GoDaddy for their continued support of the WP Builds podcast. Right, that's it for this week. I hope you have a lovely week. Join us on Monday. Monday at 7 o'clock UK time, I put out a WordPress news item. It's about 10 to 15 minutes long. So hopefully that'll be some use to you. Have a lovely week. Bye-bye.